Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Coffee with Jesus. Today we're going to be dealing with something a little bit sensitive, um, but something that we've all had to deal with at some point in our lives, and that is how to deal with deception. How do we handle it when someone lies to us for whatever reason? If you are new to our podcast, welcome. Thank you for joining us. For those of us that are here often, thank you for tuning in each and every single week. As far as possible, we'll be releasing this podcast every Tuesday. And the point of this podcast is for us to grab some coffee or tea together. Perhaps you're listening to this on the way to work, dropping off some kids at school, or perhaps you're listening to this while you're exercising or whatever the case is. But whatever you're doing right now, we just want to spend 10, 15 minutes together to speak about something about anything that may help us become more like Jesus. So if you haven't yet done it, please subscribe to this podcast on whichever platform you're on, and let's dive into today's session. So I mentioned up front, we're going to be talking about navigating deception. And I want to acknowledge right up front that for many of us who have had to deal with this, we've been lied to, we've been deceived. For many of us, this has left a big scar. This has left gaping wounds. And so I'm not treating into this lightly. I understand the the consequence of being lied to can break marriages. It can shatter childhoods. It can do so much. And so I want to I want to acknowledge that up front. But equally, we need to understand that this is common experience to all of us. All of us have been lied to. All of us have been deceived at some point. So to set this up, I want us to take I want to take us through a chapter of Joshua where deception takes center stage. Remember the context of the whole book of Joshua is the nation of Israel are stepping into their promised land. They're taking the ground that God had promised to their forefathers. And so in Joshua chapter 9, we're just going to read a few verses. The first few are from verse 3 to 9. It says this, When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country. So now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? They said to him, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord, your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt. We're going to jump down a few verses to verse 12. And it says that they're talking again. They say, here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now behold, it's dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours were worn out from a very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore this to them. So the scenario, as we've just read, is we have a people a group of people who have heard about the conquering, the, the, the massive blessing that's on Israel, who are taking over city by city. And they come to Joshua and the people of Israel, and they intentionally lie. This is not a spur of the moment. This is not a, oh, uh, let me just think of something. No, they intentionally lie. They take provisions that were already old and clothes that were worn out, and they go to the people of Israel hoping for a treaty. They didn't want conflict, and so instead... 
they engaged with these people with deception. And the scary thing is, it works. An entire nation lies to an entire other nation and they get away with it. And before we get into how to navigate this kind of scenario, let's notice the strategy here. They lied intentionally. Again, this wasn't a spur of the moment decision. This took planning. And as scripture says, it was cunning. Unfortunately, we live in a world where this still happens. People still lie intentionally. People are still cunning to get what they want. They told Israel what Israel needed to hear in order for Gibeon to get what they wanted. And unfortunately, in this world, we still live in a, in a society, in a place where people lie to get what they want. Secondly, their strategy was to get the Israelites to make a decision purely on sensory evidence. They thought if they could provide enough evidence that looked like it supported their lie, it would convince the people. If they could appeal to the senses of the people and provide enough sensory evidence, it would work. And again, unfortunately, it did work. Thirdly, the third part of their strategy. So number one, they planned this. Number two, they appealed to the senses. Number three, they avoided specifics when they were questioned. You listen to that passage and you hear Joshua saying, where are you from? And the people saying, where have you come from? And they never answered the question. They kept saying, we've come from a far away. And here, look at, our, look at our food. We've come from far away. Look at our clothes. And so they kept practicing avoidance and redirection. This strategy, this three-pronged attack is not new or innovative. It is classic deception tactics. And the problem is, unless we are paranoid, we're not looking for them. As you go through your day, I can guarantee many of us listening to this, we're not looking for people who are avoiding questions. We're not looking for people who are leaning too much into the sensory evidence. We're not, we're not looking for this. And the point of this morning, the point of the session, please hear me, is not to now be paranoid about everything someone says to you. The, the, the goal of the session is not to be paranoid, but I do want to ask us two questions. Number one, where have we allowed any of the above any of those three strategies to sneak into our lives? Where have we allowed planned deception to be part of our relationships, either with the ones who are really close to you or the ones distant from you? You might not think you're a deceptive person, but where do you feel the need to come up with a lie to cover something up? Perhaps you validated it, that, that little white lie, by saying it didn't hurt anyone or you know, but in coming up with a small white lie, you are placing yourselves in the Gibeonites camp. You, you are planning deception. How many of us here, even this week, have already planned to say something deceptive to another person in order to cover something up, in order to hide something? Where have you avoided, secondly, where have you avoided answering direct questions? Is there someone you feel you have to dodge or redirect when they ask you something because you don't want to get in trouble or you don't want to get someone else in trouble? So perhaps in order to avoid disappointing someone, boss, family member, you keep redirecting conversations or dodging the real issue. I'm not the one to call you a liar, but we need to ruthlessly eliminate deception from our lives. Yes, because deception is wrong. Absolutely. Lying is never right. And so that's one of the reasons we need to eliminate it. But more importantly, if Jesus described himself as the way, the truth, and the life, then Jesus is the embodiment of truth. And so anytime we engage in deception, even the smallest white lie, we are choosing to engage with the opposite of who Jesus is. Think of it this way. The more comfortable we become with deception in ourselves, the less likely deception from someone else will register as strange in us.
We will not re- recognize deception because we have become comfortable within that in our lives. And equally, the more comfortable we become with deception, the more comfortable we become with the absence of truth. And the absence of truth is the absence of Jesus. And so right up front, let, let's, let's turn this inwards first before we look outwards. Where have we become comfortable with deception, even at the level of a small white lie? The second question is, and I want to camp here a little bit more, is how do we not fall for deception culturally, deception from other people? How do we not fall for other people's deception? And this is a great question because all of us know what it feels like to find out that we have been lied to. We all know that feeling of having the truth come out after having believed a lie. And it is embarrassing and it's awkward. For some of us, when this has happened, it's not too major and we dusted ourselves off a bit, embarrassed, but overall not too bad. For others, when the truth came out, it rocked our world and relationships were torn apart and your world is still trying to come right again. I'm thinking about when you find out someone you love has been cheating or when an addiction comes to light. The truth we believe for a long time shatters in an instance and we can feel like absolute fools. So how do we go through life without being paranoid and without thinking the worst of people, but equally being able to spot deception. I want to go back to the verse that brings us all together. In Joshua chapter 9, it says this, So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. The lesson here, the, the thing we need to learn, is to go through this life with a constant connection to the Father through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Again, if Jesus is truth, and we are connected to him 24-7, that means when we come into contact with deception, something in our spirits will react because it's so foreign to the one we are most connected to. Scripture would call this discernment. The Israelites could have very easily gone to the tabernacle and inquired of God, but instead they chose to settle for what their natural senses were telling them. I'm not saying this is a foolproof plan because it isn't. We will all go through life. We will get slid to again. We will be deceived. But what I am saying is that the more we're connected to the personification of truth, the less likely we are to rely on our natural senses. And we become better, not perfect, at discerning deception. So, first off, we need to be people who refuse to allow any level of deception to take root in our lives, so we're never comfortable with it. And second, we need to stay connected to the personification of truth in Jesus. As I mentioned up front, I realize that this might be touchy for some of us this might be really personal and a deception may have shaped the world you're living in right now but can I encourage you instead of looking at getting even instead of calling yourself a fool instead of feeling embarrassed can we just press into Jesus because he is truth and the more we lean into Jesus the more we lean into the way the truth and the life the more we will understand how truth shapes us rather than deception and that's ultimately my goal is that today we would leave this podcast, we would walk out of here asking Jesus the truth of life to shape us instead of a deception that we may have come to realize too late. And so Jesus, I pray right now that you would help us understand the way, the truth, and the life because that is who you are. Lead us and guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a phenomenal day and we'll see you same time, same place next week.